I'm Elaine Shannon. I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast where we inspire and empower you to connect more soulfully to yourself. In this episode of Soul Sister Conversations, we speak with Pat Donahue, who has a PhD in counseling psychology. She inspires us to awaken to a richer, fuller life through discovering who we really are under layers of social conditioning. Good afternoon, Elaine. Good afternoon, Dana. I can feel the excitement in the room already as our Summer Soul series continues with today's guest. Yes. Well, why don't we get right into it and yes. tell you who this person is. So today we have Patricia Donahue, and she has so many letters after her name. I can't really, I don't even know what they all are, we'll, but maybe we'll she can explain We'll put that on the them. Facebook post. <laughs> but here's what you need to know, that she is a lifelong learner, and as a result, she holds a PhD in counseling psychology, a master's degree in education specializing in counseling, and she has a designation for licensed counseling therapist. She's an energy, energy codes master trainer and well system certified coach, a certified elder and family mediator, and she helps her clients live life as fully as is possible, regardless of their starting point. She has a special zeal for supporting people who are seeking seeking to awaken to a richer, fuller life through discovering who they are, really under layers of social conditioning. Welcome, Pat Donahue. Welcome. Welcome to Soul Sisters Conversation. <laughs> Thank you. The podcast. The podcast. <laughs> the podcast. <laughs> So you say that you have a special zeal for supporting people who are seeking to awaken to a richer, fuller life through discovering who they are under layers of social conditioning. How do you support people to awaken to that richer, fuller life that we seem to all want? Well, it's interesting because if you are familiar with the work of Dr. Bruce Lipton, Dr. Bruce Lipton says that essentially by the time we're born, the majority of our beliefs, values, and attitudes are already developed. We've learned them in utero. Before we've even come. Before, well, no, we've come already. <laughs> uh, at the moment that the sperm and egg are fertilized, there's a flash of light that can be photographed. And we're actually, we're just light and vibration is what we are as human beings. We're just energy. Mm. Everything on the planet is energy. And so as an energetic being, um, I am living on another person, the mother, and I am absolutely living, eating, sleeping, breathing, everything that she lives when she's pregnant. So, you know, there really is an entree there mm-hmm. uh, for looking at more than what is a woman eating, you know, are they doing drugs, are they right. smoking, et cetera, et cetera. Because whatever it is that she's living in, whatever environment she's in, is exactly what the baby's living And then at the moment of birth, the child has an experience of birthing and the mother has has an experience of giving birth. They're not the same thing. Mm. And then as the child comes out of the womb into the world, Dr. Sue likes to say they splat. In in other words, in order to survive, I have to look outside myself. I have to be constantly looking and experiencing what's going on in the environment I chose to come in. Mm. And then back to Dr. Lipton to connect that other piece. Basically what Dr. Lipton says is by the time we're talking and walking, we have already been enculturated, in, uniquely enculturated in my family of origin into the police values and attitudes of that family. Mm. So if the parents have more than one child, each of those children will be enculturated differently as well because I'm the eldest in my family, so I was the, I teased my siblings, <laughs> the experimental child for our parents, but my parents were mature people, they were well-educated, they had not had a child before, and so they're learning to parent as right. I'm learning to be a human being. Right. And so then as the parents have their own life experience, they in, they interpret that for their children. Mm. And then by the time my sister came along six years later, my parents were very different people. Wonderful, kind, loving, caring, supportive people, but different. Different. And so oftentimes what happens is we get into arguments about who's right. You know, you see the world one way, Dana, maybe even Elaine sees it another way, I see it another way. And we could get into huge discussions about, well, no, it's this, no, it's that. The truth is, it is for each of us 
what it is. And the fact that they're different gives me an amazing opportunity to say, well, really, Dana, how did you see that? Elaine, what was that like for you? Now we've got more real energetic ability to have a conversation than looking at the surface and just saying, oh, no, no, you know, um, ceilings are always white and walls are always blue or whatever it is right. that you're trying to say. And unfortunately, the oldest archetype in the world is what a lot of people fall into, and it's drama, drama, <gasps> drama. Drama, yeah. And there is absolutely zero energy in the story. The energy is what's supporting the story, what's going on underneath the story. So when I talk about holding space for people, absolutely I'm going to have respectful, caring, um, loving, interesting conversations about what's going on. But I'm really looking, I'm looking for, based on my education and training, I'm looking for what's the energy underneath it? What supports this? So we're born into this world with all this energy dependent on what our mom had been exposed to and our bringing. We have all these layers of social conditioning. We have beliefs that have been put upon us and values. We don't even realize it. And then at some point they come to see you because because there's a breaking it's point not or something. <laughs> So how do using all that? How do then you support people? You said you hold space for people. Yeah, what does that? Look yeah, what like? does that look like when they come to to you as a counselor well, to help people? First and and most importantly, nobody fixes another person. Mm -hmm. I agree. All we do is hold space. Okay, so that's that is yeah. good because there's a lot of people out there who are trying or doing or fixing or looking to get fixed. <laughs> yeah, but that's this is a great piece of information so with in truth if you were looking to get fixed you would the energy that runs through you if if your listeners are familiar with the chakra system there is energy from using indigenous language from uh, father sky running down through the top of your head into mother earth in a continuous download as long as you're forever it's infinite that energy that energy flows is infinite okay and so if I'm wanting to get fixed I'm not on subject anymore I'm an object I'm looking at you as if you are the wonderful thing that can make me be okay and you know we've all read fairy tales there's a lot of magic in there happily ever after but essentially all fairy tales are you begin with happily ever after there's the dark night of the soul you go through some kind of experience that's very difficult and if you transmit that through the only the main thing that transmits any experience is universal love and acceptance, you come out the other side and you can be happily ever after again. But the bottom line is you've done your own work. Mm. You have not necessarily stayed on the surface of the fairy tale and waited for the prince to come with the glass shoes. <laughs> There's no right? magic pill. There's no magic pill. So you're just you're a vessel so when people come to you that you hold that space and help them facilitate their way, unpack all their baggage. Well, it's, you know, another amazing mentor I had for 25 years was Dr. William Glasser. And one yes. of the things I learned from Glasser that absolutely was phenomenal and you know if Elaine and I or you Dana uh, changed glasses and I asked you to read you probably couldn't it's a very simple metaphor for teaching that every person sees the world differently mm -hmm. so that's number one and the other thing that was so important to me about what Glasser taught me I mean I thought that I had died and gone to heaven when I learned about choice theory because as I integrated it and used those concepts, everything in my life changed. Everything really? changed. And so part of it was understanding that if I knew better, I'd do better. Mm -hmm. And so you stop carrying the big sack behind you of all the guilt and shame and all yes. of that other stuff. Right. <clears throat> Pardon me. And and you start looking at the current situation. So I have often um, described myself to clients as I'm an information broker. What is it that you need to know about that you mm -hmm. currently don't know that if you knew you were going to be able to drive your bus of life mm. in a different direction? So maybe I can be a GPS or something of that right. nature if you want to use those kinds mm. of metaphors. Yeah. Which have but, been for a lot of people, Pat. <laughs> I mean, so I did William Glasser, the basic... Um, Basic week. Basic week. I don't even know how long ago it was. Probably hmm. 20 years ago, maybe. Yeah. 20 years ago. And, and so my middle child was having a lot of difficulty in his world. And as soon as I knew about the big picture, 
And so in our relationship with mother child and his frustration in life was because his picture wasn't matching up with his world. And so you, so through that week and learning the basic theory of William Glasser, it mm-hmm. changed our relationship completely and our whole mm-hmm. dynamic in our family. Absolutely. It, it was, it was life changing. And so what you were able to do, the, the, process we just talked about in terms of and it's intergenerational the enculturation process it's intergenerational what you were able to do was stay in the moment with him and that information gave you the opportunity to ask him questions so what does your world really look like what is it that you want to do what skills do you need that you haven't got in order to be able to do that and so there's no fixing going on i'm staying present in what i know and I'm asking you questions and at the same time empowering you with information so that you can steer your car more in the direction you want to be going in. And so if I'm integrated mind, body, spirit, then I'm on subject and I have no need, no egotistical need to fix anybody uh, because if I were going to fix you, then I would ethically be expected to take on what's going on for you. And that's not going to help you at all. That's a boundary violation. Well, it also isn't going to help you because then you're carrying everybody else's junk. You got it. But we live in a world where, like I say, you know, (laughs) we're fixing people. As I hear you talk about questions, I'm a coach, a trained coach. So when you have those kinds of tools, you recognize you kind of shift from me to the other person. You ask questions about them. You can help guide them through those problems. But to your point, the whole egotistical thing, people are firmly entrenched in their ego and they're quite unconscious in their life that they feel like I need, a fi- I can fix you or I, you I know, have the magic pill. I, I got to save the, me. I'm going to save the world. Um, like what would be something you, a piece of advice you give people to help them just manage better in their life. When you, if you hear yourself that you think that you want to fix other people, you know, we have husbands and wives and relationships and children and parents and grandparents. How do we stay in our own business or, or help people through without trying to fix it? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting because life doesn't happen to you. Life happens for oh, you. Amen. About that lots. <laughs> life happens for you. So if you are aware and intuitive enough to realize it, you know, this situation has come around for another time. So it could be a, couple <laughs> a pattern, things. right? Could be a couple of things. Maybe I wasn't aware of it when it came around before. Or number two, this time, think of a spiral. This time I'm going bigger, be bigger, deeper. Because if we look at any process, I mean, it, we create it, we sustain it, and then it destroys as we move into something deeper whether we use the word adjective better or worse or whatever, it is still nothing sustains Mm -hmm. except energy. And all the energy does is change form. It's never destroyed. It just changes form. And, And so I've had my own unique path through life as the oldest sibling of four with, you know, parents doing what parents were doing. I haven't got a clue, Dana, about your life unless I ask you. Mm-hmm. And so if my perception or my, uh, my, my, if my perception of my job is to fix you, I'm going to approach you in a very different way mm-hmm. than if all, if I look at you and see wholeness and creativity right. and I see someone absolutely doing the best that they can do in their life at the moment, um, how can I then enter that world through words or through understanding or through exchange of information and potentially provide information that the person didn't have before. And, you know, I I recently had quite an amazing experience, an individual who's um, ex-military who has been diagnosed with PTSD. And the first time that they came, they were all curled up in the chair. And when they were leaving, I just very calmly said, you know, we have a bank of hugs here too, if a hug would help you. And the, and the, the person kind of pulled back and looked at me and their eyes got as big as silver dollars. I went, hugs? And I went, yes, if you would like an appropriate hug. And so they accepted the hug. And a week later when they came back, it was as if I was looking at a completely and totally different person. And mm. then I actually sent a text and said, my healing began 
when you listened to me and you offered me a hug. I haven't had any human contact in a long time. Mm. And so sometimes it's simply as asking permission. Or yes. I often will say to people, and Elaine has met me before, so Elaine knows I'm usually quite touchy-feely. And I will say, is it okay if I touch your arm? But I like how you said that, an appropriate hug, because I, I like to hug, but I've learned that not everybody likes to hug. Correct. And I come from a family of huggers. And so I've learned that... It's it's a bit of a dance, and I ask, but the but is it appropriate? Mm-hmm. That is a great that's a great question. And with due respect, you're a fair amount shorter than I am. Yes, and so then you know body parts get in the way yes. when one person's quite a bit taller. <laughs> yeah, I have a, so a male the, friend who's like six foot six, and we kind of joke around as I put my arm around his waist. You know, but but be, between the two of us, it's we've made that. It's appropriate. your specific appropriate hug. yes and that's the bottom line it's it's always about being aware of boundaries yes and it's about you know all things are not equal mm. and we didn't all come here with the same um resources the same life experience we came here to learn lessons mm. so life is happening for me what's the lesson am i willing to step into it am i willing to move forward because if I'm not, guess what? It's going to come back again. And it's going to be hard. It. <laughs> it's going to be hard. Well, it's hard until it's not. <laughs> it's hard until it's not. And then sometimes it's not because maybe someone is holding space for mm. you. Maybe someone has just created a warm and supportive and caring environment. And maybe it's not even so much as what they've said Mm -hmm. as what's in the room. Where are the lights? Do you offer water? Do you offer coffee? Is there tissue everywhere? Yeah. And um, if you cry, I'm going to make sure you know where the tissue is. I'm not going to run over right away and hug you because that implies that I have a subconscious belief that you need hugging or you need saving or you need (laughs) consoling right now and it implies to you potentially even if you're not aware of it i might hold a belief that you're not able to do it do it yourself that's right so Mm -hmm. i don't go there and i never go to a client in a session even if they're desperately upset unless i say would it be helpful right if i supported you as you move through this i'm still not taking it on I'm supporting them because yes. I believe that they can do it themselves. And you're not stopping it because sometimes Absolutely that hug not. interferes in, would you say, interferes in that journey through whatever that emotion is? It's would that be an interrupter? Well, it would be, I think. Um, and I I'm, I'm just did a quick you know, search through the data. I would rarely hug during a session. It would be at the end. As the person's right. leaving. Yeah. And I was saying, you know, help me understand what's your circle of support. You know, who are you going to touch base with between sessions? I'm always doing that um, parting checklist. Yes. If you call mm-hmm. it that. It, it, I suppose I've done it for so long it's in my head and maybe it's not even conscious. But I always want to know who's out there for them. Yes. Right. And because sometimes they are, an individual is completely on their own. They don't have a support network. They don't have anyone to have a cup of coffee with or outside of your office but i'm thinking that like so as we're listening to this or the listeners because when our friends get upset or our family gets upset sometimes we want to jump in and stop it right and protect them and 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 so how can we as individuals hold space for each other so now the question is the other person's upset who's it bothering is it bothering you or Ah. them because oh that's a oh yeah if it's not bothering them at all but I'm feeling But I'm taking it on. <laughs> right. I'm feeling uncomfortable because they're crying, so I'm running over to hug them. And so wow. then, then it's my discomfort that I have not yet discovered that may be stopping their process, which is really important with kids because we tend to kids cry or they get upset, and particularly young moms who are at the superstore with their kids or... <clears throat> been there, done that. <laughs> at the grocery store yeah. with kids. And or the losing kid their mind. Is yeah. having a, tenter, a temper tantrum or something. Mm. And and sometimes you see the parent there just wringing their hands. And I have often said, may I support you for a minute while your child finishes what they're doing? And they look at me like... <laughs> because that's who I want to go to is the mom and say, you know what? Been there. It's okay. We're not here judging you. Because I think that that's... I've, I've been there. And I'm like, oh God, they're all looking at me like I'm a bad mom. 
Well, because you want to let your kid finish doing what they're doing. And, and part of that is what we were speaking about earlier. It's can you go into the situation with no assumptions? Mm. So if, Without all your stuff. I, it, it's That's tough my, as a human, right? My, yes, Unless you've been trained like as a coach or a counselor or someone that, that has a little bit of perspective. <clears throat> like, I can't bring my stuff to this situation. It's their stuff. Let me help them move through it. Well, and, you know, there, there are wonderful people like Virginia Satir, who is one of my heroes, who, who talks about the use of self in therapy. Mm. Because, you know, I'm not bringing somebody else into the office with me. I'm bringing me. I'm bringing you. I'm bringing me. <laughs> and so uh, is the part of me that is showing up with the client uh, appropriate or not? Right. Or because then that's a huge boundary issue. Because you can think about all of the triggers if someone else brings their triggers. situation and you're triggered because you can relate to the situation, to keep yourself out of it mm-hmm. is a practice skill. And that I have to stay on subject. Right. So if mm-hmm. I go on object, I'm in your business. <laughs> if I'm <laughs> yes. staying on subject, I'm in my business. Right. And, you know, I'm very aware at the moment because I'm, I'm the full-time caregiver of their spouse with dementia. And so I'm very aware that I can be triggered if... A client is coming in talking right. about um, they just found out that a mother, father, sister, brother, uncle has been diagnosed with dementia. So depending on how yes. close it gets to me, yes, I have to be very grounded mm-hmm. and very on center or I can come off. Do you do that before you go into a session? Do you ground yourself or clear anything and just kind of a little thought like, don't bring my stuff today or no? And no, what I do is um, I have a mantra, 8, 9, 10, 8, 9, 10, 8, 9, 10, chakra 8, chakra 9, chakra 10. And then the energy is running through my body. Mm. And because I'm, I'm not only bringing energy in, I'm bringing my body in. Right. And is my body well grounded? Am I on subject? Am I on self? And is my stuff dealt with? Did I leave stuff over there and <laughs> and how does one know if they've left their stuff over there or brought it with them it's well if you're pulled off into the story guess, triggered yeah if you're, oh, if you're, you're leaning in and you're going oh yeah and if you go oh that happened to me and you start telling your story in the middle of a therapy session, if you're they're like oh <laughs> and and so there is a place and a role for appropriate example appropriate right. sharing yeah appropriate example or sharing but it always has to have a teachable moment to right. it or it's my story otherwise it, you're using their time <laughs> that's right um what are the i don't nothing is i guess specific but what are problems are people coming with has it changed over the years what, what are our issues these days that we need well, help it's, it's very interesting because i'm sure it's um I'm going to say at least 15 years, maybe it's 20, because, you know, you just lose track of time. And Glasser did this very interesting kind of L diagram. Mm-hmm. And he he con- compared and contrasted human uh, improvement and technological improvement. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine technical, technological improvement in the last 100 Off years was straight up. <laughs> human improvement was essentially parallel. And Glasser Flash. was measuring by... Um, long-term marriages, less incarceration, um, you know, less police incidents, those kinds of things. So I'm trying to think of when he did it. So even if it was 15 years ago, the technological one would be huger. Now, huger, if there's such a word, it would be higher and higher and higher. And so basically what he was saying was that we have not changed the way in which we live human relationships. And that's Mm. why they haven't improved as quickly as technology. And, you know, we're dealing with, um, I, I saw a picture on Facebook this morning, and the baby looked like it could just barely sort of prop itself up in a cobra pose for the yoga people, mm-hmm. and was already looking at a cell phone with some kind oh. of a program on it. Mm-hmm. So what's happening now, is, well, in fact, the, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual is thinking of adding a new disease to it, and yeah. that is called failure, failure to launch, because... Um, adult, young adults, yeah, up to 30. The, the average age now, I think, for young adults to move out of the house is 30. Mm-hmm. And so what's happening is the sandwich, sandwich generation is expanding its boundaries. So they've now got 20 or 25 or 28-year-old young adults living home. They're in their last maybe 10, 12 years before they want to retire. They've got aging parents because our lifespan is longer. Mm-hmm. And it's 
we don't even have privacy in our own home because sometimes right. these young everybody's adults, there. Well, everybody's there, and the young adults move out and come back. And so, what are we seeing? Uh, according to the Canadian Alzheimer's Society, by 2030, we will have a tsunami of uh, basic kinds of dementia. There are five main forms of dementia. So that's going to be a tsunami. So you're going to be seeing that in the Is world. this as a result of the sandwich being sandwiched? Like there's too much pressure or stress? No, um, I think we're becoming more aware of it. Oh, we, okay. we used to call it uh, hardening of the arteries. Now we know it's vascular dementia. We used to think, oh, well, you know, so-and-so is just forgetful. Well, now we know that there's, there's um, early onset Alzheimer's. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, frontotemporal dementia is the least known form of dementia. And I watched some, uh, a video from the American Frontotemporal Dementia Association last week. And this young man was diagnosed at 29 in the prime of his career, um, a school teacher, and died within four years of diagnosis. So, <clears throat> pardon me. So what's happening is we're, we have more clarity about diagnosis and... Um, so we're diagnosing more. I mean, we used to not have so much ADHD as, as we do now. We didn't used to have Asperger's or autism diagnosed as much right. as we do now. So I think we're more aware. We're, become, we're developing more and more specificity. Mm-hmm. So you almost need to have a doctor now who's going to bring back together all the various treatment options. Mm-hmm. So I think what we're seeing is... We're seeing the usual relationship difficulties between romantic partners. We're seeing parent-child issues. Uh, we're seeing huge panic and anxiety yeah. in young people. Um, we're seeing much more addiction. Um, and because of, of the global networks that we have, um, even young kids are, are so aware of what's going on all over the world where they're... There's no are, filters are, for them. There's no filters for them. Plus the fact that, you know, I'm of an age, it used to be, you know, a great treat to go to a drive-in or a drive-through or in the beginning, A&W was one of the first and they roller skated up. Right, that's house. right. You put your little tray. With your tray. <laughs> the but window. Think, think about it now. Seven and eight-year-olds have cell phones. And so I, I and heard so they can order pizzas. <laughs> but I heard a very interesting interview about, and it was a research project around where do you keep your phone? And the kids wouldn't even put them in their purse or in their pocket because it would take too long to answer it. So, <laughs> you know, the, the, the book in the world that sold the most number of copies is Scott Peck's uh, The Road Less Traveled. And the primary component of that book is delayed gratification. Mm-hmm. And so we've got several generations now who know nothing about delayed gratification Mm -hmm. and so everything is supposed to happen immediately which means that sometimes what you're talking about dana is people want to fix they want to come in put their 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 self in your chair for an hour and they want when they leave that they're going to feel better and you're going to have done it for them right and i'm pretty clear that's not my job it's not in my job not the job description i wrote for myself Mm -hmm. i will be the best resource that i can be for you but ultimately the work has to be yours Yours. it's not mine Mm. and that's a struggle for folks who have always been able to go on object and get what they wanted right and now we have this big society who's wants it now but bigger better faster and do you think that's translating into the anxiety uh, that we have, with like, our, seem to be uh, off youth. the charts Gosh. with the young people. Do you think that that's what's driving that? Well, You're smiling with a little bit of a, <laughs> it's an audio program. <laughs> you know, I probably my sister as a teacher could raise one eyebrow, and her students would pay attention. I'm not quite as good at that <laughs> yeah. as she is. However, um, I think part of the issue is um, when I separate who you are from how you feel. And you put that anxiety out there as object, you want someone else to fix it. When if you keep it unspecified and simply say, take it to the body, where do you feel that? And breathe into it, it goes away. And you don't, for Instead of labeling it as anxiety. Yeah. Well, it's so interesting you say that because I hear the, these diagnoses, uh, I guess the diagnosis of anxiety. Uh, when I went, I took my son to UNB, one of the things they spoke about was they had great mental health. And that's that's what they see the most. And I think they even called it like chronic 
anxiety. Like it was just, it's persistent. And I look back at what people describe as anxiety and I think, well, gosh, I had that all growing up. I had growing up. Every time I had a test, I would obsess over something. And I thought, what's the difference between, or is there like, I'm to me, that's just, just part of being a human that you get anxious or upset. Obviously it, 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 appears in different forms for different people and, and different kinds of severity, but that we have now labeled it and that before it just felt like, well, that was a, that's a part of growing up is you're anxious about things or things derail you. Well, I think it, it's important also for me to disclose that although I'm classically trained, I have always in my career, even when I was 17 and became a and went through hospital nurse training and became a registered nurse, I always worked outside the medical model. I always believed that people could feel better, do better, right. be yes. better, etc. Absolutely. And so when someone comes in, I would be more inclined to teach them yoga poses for relieving whatever they're feeling, feeling than to take it and put it on the table like your nice silver microphone and polish it up and make it look pretty and say, okay, well, how are we going to dress it up today? How about we all if we're responsible learners, my sense is, well, this would only be my perspective, that you would have some element of of stress, of a disconnect right. between, and maybe it was all internal, you know, you know the exam's coming, but right. you've procrastinated, you, you're going to pull an all-nighter. I was smart enough to know when I was in high school that all-nighters didn't work for me mm-hmm. because I require a lot of sleep, and I'm much better off I go to bed and and rely on my pretty good memory to write an exam, but absolutely, and you know, Hans Seeley was one of the first people to talk about stress. And so what we're talking about is if they're, I'll be bored if there's not a, enough stress to kind of right. motivate Something me. Something, some nerves, yeah. And then what can my system cope with? What can my system manage? So I, it's all about self-reflection. Mm. You know, am I taking care of myself? Am I eating well? Am I drinking lots of water? You know, uh, am I consuming alcohol? Am I smoking? Am I working out? What? Because this this body is a vehicle that carries around my finite energy. Mm. How am I going to take care of it? What does it look mm. like? What am I doing? And so, you know, it's it's about lifestyle too. And if I'm always on object, I'm doing drama all the time anyway. And you know, one of the a colleague of mine from PEI, Ken Pierce. Uh, wrote a wonderful book called The Dance of Bullying. And basically what he's saying is the, the, the person who is being the bully and the post person who's receiving the bully, they both have exactly the same five basic needs. Mm-hmm. One is being aggressive about meeting their need and the other is being passive because all systems are going to balance. doesn't mean they're equal. Mm. All systems will balance. And so what we're saying is if you draw a circle and the bully's taking 75% of the energy, and the passive person is only taking 25%, work with them, teach them, is this, you know, are you going to have friends? Is this gonna serve your purpose? Because if you move through life in this way, is there gonna be a train wreck of relationships in front of you, or are you gonna learn to be respectful? Are you gonna learn to listen to what the other person's saying? Are you gonna negotiate your differences? Because we all, every one of us see the world differently. Mm. Back to the glasses, right? When we change. My job is to understand how you see the world. If I want to be in relationship with you in any form, whether it's a a client Mm. counselor, whether it's friend, whether it's, it's sibling or it's spouse or whatever it is, how am I respectful in that relationship? So to that, that takes time. Of course. And that takes effort. And, and it's not so, your cell phone in your hand. No. Well, well do, you, do you think there was this idea of anxiety? Have you seen personally in your career as a counselor, do we have more of it or was it just more of it labeled? Because I think back to when I was a child, I, I would get anxious about things. So I was the perfectionist. I would never be a procrastinator. But it's the, am I good enough? Like, will I get the good mark or what have you? But if someone had taken me to the doctor and said I had anxiety, I would have like, oh, I have a thing. Versus when I was a kid, I didn't realize you I had just a thing. moved through you it, moved Dana. Through it. You yeah. just kept showing up. But I realized there are different degrees. You know, people have sometimes difficulty coping, so it's not to to play that down. But do and you, so you've got has three, it increased? You've got three beautiful mugs on the table, mm-hmm. and if we took them out and put them under the cold water, started running the water, what would happen? Well, it would they fill up. Fill up. Is that, or are you saying it would any, get cold? Is there anything wrong with the mug? 
No. no. So at any point that I'm asking my system to manage that which is unmanageable, I may feel overwhelmed. Overwhelmed is not necessarily a medical diagnosis. No. I can back off. I can take care we of myself. We all have different thresholds. We, Every kid who watches CSI or... <laughs> NCIS is my favorite, uh, knows that from a DNA point of view, we're different. Mm -hmm. So if we're different from a DNA point of view, if any, every person on the planet is individual, then where does the assumption come from that we can all manage the same level of mm -hmm. stress? Right. So do we just have more stress these days than we've ever had? Or has it always been the same, it's just different? Or is it that we perceive more stress? Mm -hmm. Or and is that we're looking for specificity? Or is it that I'm looking to have the fairy tale life without doing any of the work. Because if I have a label know. and I take something to make it go away, then there's the instant gratification. Well, certainly social media, I possibly, think, plays a possibly. part, though, when you talk about fairy tales. I mean, you see fairy tales on fake, Facebook. fabulous Facebook life. But if you if you think, oh, I don't have that, you know, if you're comparing fairy tales, you know, you can certainly see why people get... Uh, anxious about their life maybe I'm behind they start developing these ideas and and beliefs so I don't know if social media people blame it I don't know I'm not trying well I'm not trying to be simplistic and let's face it it was all going on it before <laughs> social media it's just that we didn't know it wasn't in our face quite so face, much yeah. and you know all beliefs are limiting in some way mm -hmm. and so if I believe that it's supposed to be this way and it's that way, I can easily label the situation some kind of diagnosis mm -hmm. rather than going, oh, well, isn't that interesting? I really, um, and this is a topic that I have been examining in the last uh, number of years because um, certainly in, to my conscious awareness, I didn't sign up to have my partner diagnosed with dementia mm -hmm. and to be a full-time caregiver. I, I, I signed up for the love and the, the romance and the activity and the, the mutual values and the mutual goals and work together for what we wanted to achieve. And it has been a constant comeback to source for me to realize that nobody's going to save me from this. And interestingly enough, somewhere in the great universe, we kind of paired up because he is going to have to learn, and sometimes not easily for my darling Kenneth, uh, that he's going to have to be cared for. Mm. He's going to have to accept being cared for because mm. he was always the doer. No, 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 I'm in charge and it's important to be in charge. And I'm going to have to learn to stand on my own. Mm. because there's a part of me that likes to be cared for. Sure. It's part of uh, all of us that likes to be cared for. And so somehow we have uh, a pact that neither of us knew about when we got together. And there are days when I still feel resentful because it isn't what I think I signed up for. But mm. it obviously is or it wouldn't be happening. But you obviously have a very spiritual perspective. Would that be, uh, you talk about source, you're talking about energy, where some people don't have that. So they're thinking, I didn't sign up for this and I don't recall signing any pact before I came here that or adopt the philosophy that life's happening uh, for me versus to me. You know, people can easily feel like a victim or that this they got the, you know, the wrong end of the stick. And bear in mind, um, the soap opera, As the World Turns, that was on yes. there, yeah. for 50 years, only had one main concept, and it was called the drama triangle. Right. And the drama triangle is victim, bully, and rescuer. And you can be all three to yourself. You can have mm -hmm. all three in any relationship. And, you know, when I go to victim, I don't have any power at all. Right. And I'm on object. Mm -hmm. So stay on subject. And I, it, it is absolutely a big leap to realize that life happens for you, not to you. Lots of people think life happens to you. Mm -hmm. And so if that's where you're at in your awakening process, then you will live and behave mm. that life is happening to you and think, oh, okay, well, oh, look at that over there. The grass is greener over there. I think I'll go over there and I'll try that for a while. And guess what? It isn't greener. <laughs> well, it's it's astroturf, number one. Yeah. And, number, and number two, exactly that lesson that you thought you were yes. leaving behind turns up there. Yeah. And that it lesson, will follow you. That universal lesson will turn up hmm. until we embrace it. And, hmm. you know, uh, I thought Gabor Mate said something incredibly interesting in the podcast I listened to last night, and he was looking at world leaders. 
and mate is absolutely does not um, digress at all trauma first addiction second and you know the the british uh, interviewer was asking him about uh, did ask about u.s politics and didn't ask about canadian but thought that was interesting but basically just said you know, when people are traumatized, they are very based in their ego or protective mm -hmm. personality, whatever you want to call it. And when they're based in their ego, then they're doing black and white. They're doing right. either yes. or. Yes, yeah, you don't see the world in There's gray. no gray. Well, There's in, their in way. truth, as we begin to awaken, we see things as this and rather than this or. or mm -hmm. So I have moved in my awakening even if I'm doing this and. Well, you know what? You could be right in some circumstances and I could be right too. Mm -hmm. So let's try to upscale it a little bit and see, can we have a situation where we're both... We're both mm -hmm. right? Uh, well, we've negotiated something we can live with mm -hmm. because um, compromise is actually spelled R-E-S-E-N-T-M-E-N-T. <laughs> So if I resentment for any of those <laughs> counting the letters, you know, if I've compromised, yeah. I'm going to be that wolf nipping at your heels to get you because I really didn't agree at all. Mm -hmm. I just said I would, but I resent and I resent it immensely. So unless I can come to an, uh, um, Cuffy was writing about uh, a win-win. If we don't have win-win then we don't have integrity, we don't have transparency, we have situations where there's political gain or there's dogma for one person or the other, but we don't have transparency and we certainly have not made the best of the resources that we have. Mm. Because I'm not giving up my ego, thank you very much. I want to win this argument. Right. Even if everybody else is going to pay for it, I want to, I want to win if mm. I'm in ego, as opposed to what's good for what's good for the for the relationship, what's good for the family, what's good for the community, and so on and so on. So how do you move in your situation with caregiving for your, your husband? And you said, I want to be cared for, but you recognize that you you think that you have a pact, that you, you came together, that you're meant for each other in some way to learn lessons. How do you get yourself out of victim? Because you, you obviously you're very conscious of these two pieces. Yeah. And, and how do you, so I'm sure someone's listening that has a similar situation, how do you move out of victim and not feel... Like, this is not what I signed up for. I, I, I don't want to be the caregiver. Well, you know, what do you so, do? sometimes you just go off into a corner and you have a really good cry. And then mm -hmm. you come back and say, okay, let's start again. Mm. Uh, because I think some of the most powerful words that anybody can say is begin again, begin again, begin again. Mm. You know, every day is a new day. Every second's a new second. Every minute's a new minute. Every hour's a new hour. And I, if I'm aware, I can then avoid repeating what I've already done. But that's the key, aware. How do people become and, but, aware? And asking, <laughs> right? And asking, can we begin again? That's Give you so that permission. comes right. That comes from a place of so checking your ego outside the door when you go back in and say, okay, because being married, you know, there's lots of beginnings again. Yes. Being a parent, right? No so question. having a relationship with anybody, really, can we begin again? Absolutely, and you know, if you can move your ego out of the way to begin again, because some people just flatten it and that's it. Conflict, blowout, gone. Well, and, you know, relationships, um, the biggest difference in any relationship is the two people in it and how aware are they about their stuff 100%. in the relationship, okay? Uh, because there are times when um, if, if we are unable to cooperate and have the relationship be number one, I'm going to and my partner is going to do what's best for our relationship. Um, we're doomed to be in the, you know, I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm going to sabotage. And so back to that resentment. Them. Back to resentment. And the other part of it is self-awareness. And, um, you know, I am so blessed in my journey because I have attracted amazing folks who I trust to the moon and back to care for my hubby, he is 24-7 care when I go away. And I do go away for um, to nourish my own mm -hmm. soul mm -hmm. because if I don't nourish my soul, I don't nourish my physical body and I don't nourish myself spiritually, then the house of cards comes down right. 
in any case. And And, you're taking care of yourself. Yeah. yeah. And for me, I mean, much as you read in the intro, uh, learning for me has always been fascinating. And probably the most common phrase I ever heard from my mother as a kid, Patricia, get your nose out of that book and do fill in the blank. And I haven't changed. And, you know, anybody who's been in my office knows there's huge wall of books and probably uh, baskets under my bed. But I love what you called yourself, a knowledge broker, information Information broker. That is that... Because there's a lot of people out there who who do they read a lot and they and they gather information, and people say to them, "Oh, do you, you know? Do you need to read that other book? Do you need to listen to that?" Like you know, and sometimes those people are called little Miss Know It Alls, but that's somebody else's impression, right? Mm-hmm. That's their impression. But I love that you're that you are brokering all of this information to help other people. Well, there's there's a grid in our planet, right? There's an energy grid, and there's ley lines and all kinds of um, I mean, ancient Egyptians built amazing pyramids using astrology, using the stars. They knew when Venus came back into their site that the Nile was going to flood and everybody would move away. And then when the flood was down, they'd have this beautiful fertile land to grow. So for centuries, people have been using the, the physical world to learn from and move forward. And, uh, and, and for me... Um, I read. I read for pleasure. I read for knowledge. I read because I think it's um, an element of being a responsible information broker. I mean, if I'm just telling the same thing over and over again, that's not very good for clients either. And I also need to be walking my own talk. If I am not putting my money where my mouth is, then there's nothing authentic about me whatsoever, and I have no interest in that whatsoever. If I I never, ever in my office ask a client to do anything that I'm not doing or that I haven't done. So if I want them to journal, I will go to the shelf and pull out a journal and say, you know, this is a very simple form of journaling. Start in the morning with, uh, um, you know, what are your intentions for the day? No more than five minutes because most of us don't have more than five minutes to sit and journal. And at night, what am I grateful for? And I... I physically don't write it anymore, but as soon as my head hits the pillow at night is what am I grateful for today? So you're going through that. So speaking of learning, so yeah. one of the, your most recent learnings is the energy codes, yes. which I think is absolutely fascinating uh-huh. with Dr. Is it Dr. Sue Mortar? Correct. Okay. So tell us a little bit about the energy codes. Yeah, you've been talking about energy all through this. <laughs> yeah. So now, because so, this is kind of bringing yeah, it all yeah, together. Yeah. <laughs> What is it? What do we need to know about Well, it? I synchronistically met Dr. Sue at a conference. Um, there is a gal who has a conference, a series of conference called Celebrate Your Life. Yes. And um, I was writing a book, so I wanted to go away and have some private time to write. So I said to Ken, this is um, about six or seven years ago, I said, what if um, I go to this conference, Wayne Dyer was the keynote. Did and you do the one Phoenix, in Arizona? In Phoenix. And I said, you can sit by the pool while I go to the conference. And then we'll go up to Sedona for four or five days, and we'll just have our own little retreat, and then I'll go away to write. And so in the end, he had a health crisis, and he didn't come with me. And um, when I, I've had a, a, not a rule, but I guess a process for years, if I'm going away, if I'm traveling to a conference, I always do the pre and post. Because it's only an extra two days and in a hotel. great yeah. learning. And then yeah. you get the extra full day workshop with sure. somebody. And I chose Dr. Sue based on her picture. <laughs> just her eyes. Yes. Or just, energy. Her, yeah. <laughs> energy. Well, there's energy yeah. in the picture I was yes. looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And so that one day is called the Quantum Flip. Uh, that one day workshop. And I, I remember at one point getting, I couldn't even sit in my chair. I got up and I was standing at the back of the room. And I thought, I don't really know what this is yet, but I know I want in. And so um, there are, um, when you start um, learning the energy codes, there are four levels. But before we go there, um, just to understand a little bit about Dr. Sue, she had been a seeker. I I don't think she describes herself as a seeker, but I would use that, that word. So she had been meditating for years. She had been doing yoga. She had gone to India. She had spent time in an ashram. So... 
Um, she grew up in a family um, and has only ever had natural health care. She's never been to a physician for medical reasons. She's never taken um, an antibiotic for an infection. Everything she's ever done has all been natural. Her father, M.T. Mortar, was probably one of the most significant pioneers in energy medicine 40 years ago. And as a result of an accident, he developed called bioenergetic synchronization technique. He and Bruce Lipton were friends. So okay, that sounds she used the work to of sit, Bruce Lipton. She used to sit under the table and well, listen oh, to wow. her father talk. Talk about she absorbing was, energy and good. She was the youngest of three, two, two older brothers and herself. And so in that family, uh, her father was a chiropractor. So she decided that she would go to chiropractic school, even though she didn't want to. And uh, initially didn't want to, and then um, had a phenomenal experience in a meditation retreat. And she describes it very clearly in the book. Um, she um, was actually standing on the planet Earth, embedded up to her knees, and could see all of the universe. And what, um, as she, she wasn't. She, her friends had to take her home and literally put her to bed. This meditation experience was so was overwhelming. That? Wow. And then she spent years retro-engineering that experience. And she started off with, um, I think, quality living or an intentional living retreats. And then over the years has developed what is called the energy codes. Mm -hmm. And there are seven energy codes... There's a, a grounding code and a clearing code and a, and a chemical code. And, um, and so the whole process of the energy codes is ways, like you talked earlier about the, the someone having a feeling of overwhelmed or mm -hmm. anxious and the central channel breathing. And so that would be the anchoring code. Because every time we expand, if we don't anchor, we're going to feel overwhelmed. And so there are... And is that your no. energy going out? And then you're... It's like they you have, need to bring it back. Need to, yeah. Yeah. Ah, so, so the natural you have an flow. expansion. Yes. But then you, you're going to contract. That's natural. But if you don't anchor when you contract, then you haven't necessarily benefited from the expansion. So how would you anchor when you naturally expand... Breath. Breath. Just through back to breath. So just be... So is it anchoring than just being conscious? No, it's a very specific form oh, really? of breathing called central channel breathing. And it would be, and there are four anchor points, but in, in the beginning it would be, most of us, when we breathe, we, we expand our chest. And in essence, we never oxygenate the lower lobes of our lungs where creativity lives. Right. Oh. And so if you're breathing um, a Buddha belly breath, you're actually, your, your chest is not expanding that much, but your belly is expanding here and then contracting. And then you would do, and it's a yoga move called Mulabandha. So you would actually be tightening your perineum as you're breathing into your belly. And we know the importance of tightening the perineum. Well, for, for, for women, it <laughs> for would, many reasons, it would be a key you know, exercise. Yes, yeah. exactly. You don't okay. pee your pants when you sneeze. That's it. And then... You would be tightening in the chest so that you're, you're actually, what you're doing is you're dropping the scapulas in the back and it lifts your, your heart more to heaven. And then slightly tighten your throat and then look up uh, so there's a little bit of tension behind your eyes and then breathe through your belly. So, that, so this is a whole thing that you would practice. Absolutely. That's the anchoring code. And, you know, if your listeners are curious, they could go on Dr. Sue's YouTube channel. So Sue Mortar. DrSueMortar.com and... Uh, her tagline is bridging science, spirituality, and human possibility. Wow. And then she does have a short YouTube video. And actually, there's something called the short answer quiz. If people are interested, they can sign up for that on her website. There's no charge for that. And, um, and so what she had done is each of the codes are associated with specific organs in the body. And so as you read the book and move through... You can, for example, the chemistry code would be about checking uh, your pH and working with um, making sure that your pH is appropriate. Because if your body's too acidic, that's when we become ill mm -hmm. often. 
Okay, and along with the energy work Dr. Mortar did, he developed um, something called Alka Green, which helps with um, alka alkalinizing the body. That's a hard word to say. And um, there's another product of theirs called Trace Minerals that is... So one of the, the uh, Journey Awakes I was on, I, uh, we were walking through a small market area and I accidentally got cut with um, like wire. They were gonna put up some mesh wire and um, Dr. Lisa put trace minerals on it and by the next morning it had healed. Mm. So these are the products that he has researched and developed. And again, uh, those are available on Dr. I'm not trying to promote products, I'm just saying they're available. These, these, are, are, these, are, right, these are things that have happened. And, um, and so the energy codes are, um, are all, and, and actually her book, I did bring a copy of the book with me, and um, oh, okay. before it was published, it was number one book on Amazon to buy. I see Forward by Jill Bolte-Taylor. Yes. Mm. yes. Stroke of insight, and yeah. the night of the book launch in L.A. in March, uh, Dr. Taylor um, read her forward and spoke about how she got to meet Dr. Sue. And Dr. Sue did bioenergetic synchronization techniques. Um, she did best treatments for Dr. Bolte after her um, stroke. horrific stroke. Mm -hmm. And for people who don't know Jill Bolte-Taylor, she, well, she was a neuroscientist, was she not? She's a, a neuro... brain, researcher brain researcher at Harvard. Yeah, and she had a stroke and... She had a closed stroke. Yeah. And actually some of the people that she now works with are, are denying that she's completely recovered, even though she has completely recovered mm -hmm. and is back at work doing what she was doing before the stroke. Yeah. And she says, Dr. Dr. Sue's work, really helped her and uh, Anita Morjani which some people oh know. yes yeah I yes. love Anita Morjani and so um, Anita also has had best treatments from Dr. Sue okay so, so that's so, an interesting book to to read it's called the energy codes and at yes. the end of the first week after publication it hit uh, most of the American bookstores Barnes and Nobles and I've forgotten the names of them they were it was number one there and the um, Los Angeles Times number one the first week after it was published so um, and how long ago did this journey start for you pat learning about the energy codes uh november 2015 that's pretty specific yeah yeah was something okay. in particular happened that was when you were in arizona and that's, oh, that's, when, okay. it that's when you met that's her. when it all okay. opened up for you and then in january of 2016 i went back and did my level one and level two i did in april and level three in june and i think level four in september of that year and uh you know i'm so shy and retiring when i'm really interested in something it takes me a long time to get retiring it. what is that uh, <laughs> i can't believe you um, said that word <laughs> and so then i stepped into a year-long uh, training to facilitate the energy codes workshops and then i stepped into um became a master trainer of the energy codes. And you've done some of these workshops at yes. your at your office, so I did attend uh, one of those. Yeah, more coming was, up yes. in the fall, a book study. Which was good, so, yes. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. I mean, it's a, these are, they're all, I mean, this is another tool, right? A tool mm -hmm. in your toolbox, so to say, that our level of understanding of how, how we work and how the world works with us. Uh, probably what... Well, Dr. Sue Mortar impresses me immensely. Because you've and, studied under a lot of people. And um, I think it's the authenticity of her mm -hmm. that totally impresses me. So I just wanted to check. So there's an anchoring code. There's a feeling code, which would uh, deal with some of the questions you were talking about. A clearing code, the healing power of the subconscious mind. Heart code, breath code, chemistry code, and spirit code. Mm. So those are what we would address one by one in a book study. Um, and it's it's a way of living, mm. that meditating. And the other pieces are yoga. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the other piece of the energy code work for Dr. Sue is, is the bioenergetic synchronization. And the other one is the yoga. And I am aware that um, Stephen Joyce was a previous yes. guest. Yes. And um, it just prompts me again to make the connection with Stephen because I would like to um, invite Dr. Sue to this area. Mm. When we were at the alumni retreat in Mexico last year, 
I just happened to walk out onto the deck and she was there um, meditating. And so I sat very quietly and then she sort of said, oh, tell me about the place where you live. And so I talked to her about, you know, the high, the tides and reversing mm-hmm. falls and, mm. and um, Hopal Rocks and St. Martin's. And she said, I'm going there. And mm. I said, that's wonderful because <laughs> it was my plan to invite you. <laughs> so um, her yoga is different. Her yoga is uh, very much understanding that yoga poses our sacred geometry, that what we're doing is putting our body into sacred geometry. And if we are um, building circuits as we breathe into the, the sacred geometry positions that we're in, then yoga is going to young us. And anybody who's worried about lines or aging, <laughs> then get into body awake yoga. Well, c- certainly Stephen alluded to that when he was on our show about people that he sees that comes to the studio yes. and they practice yoga because they're a different person in a year. They, they, go, they well, look light, younger. Lightness of spirit. So, so back to Dr. Sue, just in mm. case she's listening to this. So I've been to Sedona many times and I travel around, around the coast of the Bay of Fundy and I have to tell you, that the energy that we have here is as powerful, but in a different way as the energy in Sedona. And I have, Agreed. and I, there is a grid line in Sedona that my husband and I found, and it goes from the petroglyphs yep. and it travels all the way through, um, by the cathedral, not cathedral, the cha- cathedral uh, rock. No, not cathedral rock. Sorry. It goes by, oh, the, the the very large one that you walk around okay. it's yeah anyway so there is a grid line there and we that we found and so there were some very interesting things that happened there and it's a, a place where not a lot of people go so we go there for the sunrise and but when i'm in st martin's and i'm there and the and the um the tide is going out and it is pulling away mm-hmm. it, it's it's magical and i have said this place people need to come here because Absolutely. there is something here, and we must be on that grid somehow. Well, and you know, we mentioned earlier uh, the pyramids and using astrology mm-hmm. and and using um, the Milky Way and where s- stars are aligned. And so, a lot of Doctor Sue's journey awake trips that she organizes and and takes are about looking at ley lines and about looking at the energy and what is the spirituality of there and so she's um has taken groups to bali and to india and then to egypt and jordan and israel and ireland and so you can actually link all ancient wisdom practices in the journey wakes and what um, she also did a, a um, Egyptian yoga uh, webinar because the um, what we saw in the temples in Egypt are yoga poses. Hmm. Okay, and so you can put yourself into those yoga poses as part of sacred geometry, and energy flows in a different way. So when you put in these poses, that's what I is the is the to, premise now. Okay, it's what I was hoping to partner with Stephen to oh. uh, introduce her yes as as not well if Stephen's listening he's <laughs> hearing the request <laughs> well it's it's just different ways of doing yoga and enhancing the practice that somebody might already be in and i know that yeah. Stephen is into astrology yes yes, yes. so so i'm <laughs> sure that that feels like be, a match yeah <laughs> it feels like we've come full it. circle yeah. with that well, I think that we could probably talk for the next couple of days because you have so much knowledge to share. Um, information, information broker that she is. Yeah. Um, and I truly appreciate your your mentorship and the fact that you do spend this amount of time and money, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because there's a cost that comes with all this to educate yourself so that oh, others yeah. can benefit. So others, yeah. It's just a, a so blessing. So if people want help. How do they find you? Do you have a you have a full have a fledging practice? Yes. Yeah, you take mm-hmm. clients. Oh, absolutely. And so, how would they find you? Is it Donahue Consulting um, dot com and six three four two eight eight three is the office and uh, um, and they go from there and, and then you'll do a yes um, call and come if that's what they want and very definitely uh, the third week in September I'll be starting a book study on uh, energy codes 
and towards the end of September. I like to let parents get kids adjusted back to school. <laughs> there we go. Before we start yeah. workshops again in the fall. Yes. But I will be doing one-day workshops on the energy codes and a book study on the actual book. Okay. And what so, will they walk? people walk away with by, by participating in that? Whatever they choose to. Uh, well, of course, Pat, that's the perfect answer. <laughs> Whatever they choose, absolutely. Well, this has been great. I'll give absolutely everything I got. I think Elaine knows me well enough to know that when I stand up, I give everything I've You're, got. Yeah. And uh, um, I used to have a nickname for myself. I used to call myself an icebreaker simply because I was always out in front of the wave looking for the next new thing. And part of that is um, because I have an insatiable desire to be all that I can be. Um, sometimes it's interesting when you're out that far because uh, people don't really know what you're talking about because it hasn't hit here yet. Right. But I, I, I also heard that Namaste Bookshop in um, Sussex has the book in the window, and I have books. Oh, really? If people are looking for books, they can just call me and come by she a book. She has quite a collection. Oh, well, I meant energy code books yeah. in this case. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pat. Well, this has been this a pleasure. Very great. Welcome. Wow. My thank pleasure. You so much. Thank you. Can't wait. I'm Dana Lloyd. And I'm Elaine Shannon. You've been listening to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast. You can connect with Dana at DanaLloydLeadership.com and you can connect with Elaine at ElaineShannon.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join us for more Soul Sister Conversations. Thanks for listening.